Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ooh, super friends. With Eric Esquivel. Welcome back to Super Friends. We are in a sweltering box that feels like the center of a Krypton as it's exploding. This is uh, LA's craziest heat wave ever, and there's no AC in here. But I'm joined by the intrepid, the man of action himself, Ascot Smith. Hi. Ascot, I'm so happy you're here. Ascot, tell the fine people who don't know who you are, who there's like maybe one person out in Iowa somewhere, sure. who you are. Yeah, uh, I'm a game designer. Um, you can find my work on uh, Amazon Fire TVs and uh, Google Play. It's going to be coming out on iOS. Uh, there's a game I made called Psychic. Ooh, with like a psychic cat and stuff? Is that the one? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, about a detective and a psychic cat who solve crimes together. So you create virtual reality games. Uh, yeah, I've made VR games. Uh, this, this game in particular is more like an interactive cartoon. So you can just play it on your phone. Is it like or... a brain interactive construct? Okay, Brainiac. Did you create Brainiac? <laughs> I came here to grill you on Brainiac. I'm slow. Every every game I make, I'm slowly building the foundation of Brainiac. Oh my god, that's amazing. That's been <laughs> the focus of the podcast, but it's not. Instead, we're here talking about maybe the best Superman story ever told in the 77 years of history, Man of Steel. I just felt my heart stop. <laughs> because you, as a game designer, explained to me that you. Uh, create these narratives where they're all about choice they're about uh, walking people through making decisions and that's what these games are and uh and this movie has a lot of very um very very bold choices i would say right so there's a a lot of different type of games uh and i tend to specialize in interactive storytelling or more specifically like branching narrative games so Mm -hmm. if you played like wolf among us or the walking dead game uh, you know, these are based off, like, comic books, like Fables and, of course, The Walking Dead. I've and, heard of those. Yeah. There's yeah. no Superman in those, so I don't read them, but I've heard of them. That's true. Mm-hmm. I wonder why we haven't made a Superman branching narrative game yet. I made one. I but can show it. we could definitely yeah. talk about that. Sure, sure. Uh, but, yeah, like, a lot of this is about putting the player in position uh, so when they make choices, they feel, like, implicit uh, or complicit uh, with, like, what's going on on the screen. So you have, like, interesting ways to tell stories and engage the audience uh, where, like, linear TV or movies doesn't do this. Sure, uh, sure. So you feel sorry for, like, what you did. Or mm. when you have to make a choice to say, like, I don't know if you've played Mass Effect, uh, there's, like, a, you know, spoiler, sorry, everybody, but there's a huge choice in the first Mass Effect where you have to choose, like, one of your pals to stay behind. And okay. they're going to, they're not going to make it. So you're basically sent, sending someone to like to die, and sure. like they're not going to continue through like Mass Effect two and three. And oh, it's wow. like this huge thing that like you know has brought people to tears. Like it's really affected them. And I think that this is a you know kind of unique unique space to design stories for. Absolutely, yeah. It's a very engaging uh, kind of like experience you have. It's a very personal. I think the memories you create when you're playing these games are uh, maybe more intense than when you're just reading a comic passively or reading or like watching a movie because you're actively making the choices. Right, and as like a writer, it's just like a interesting space to be in and, and feel like you're contributing towards like new new sort of uh, forms or like new tropes or like developing different storytelling methods to kind of evoke unique ways uh, 
you know, with the audience. So um, I still love comics. I love movies. Mm-hmm. I write, you know, TV scripts and comic book scripts. But sure. my, you know, my heart and where my like tools have been the most sharpened is like with this interactive branching narrative space. That's very cool. I like that you're you're really into the idea of choice, and because Man of Steel is all about right. choice, as we know, Jorel <laughs> says we've had a child. A boy child, Krypton's first natural birth in centuries, and he will be free, free to forge his own destiny. It's all about this movie's all about like, Superman not being a clone in the Matrix, and, and he like he's born uh, as a natural born person for the first right. time, so he can make it. He, it's, it's the American way, right? He can decide what he wants to be when he grows up, and the whole movie's about him deciding what kind of man he's going to be, right? And taking advice from the various uh, sociopath father figures he has yeah, that tell him to let children die. There, yeah. Uh, there, there's like so much weight put on this kid, like from like the moment he shows up. Like the movie literally starts with like him being born, mm-hmm. and it's being like the weight of everything. Uh, and yeah, he's presented with some pretty unrealistic choices to make that the writers have never really like built in any feasible like ways for him to come to a satisfying conclusion about. Um, and in some ways, it's sort of like. You know, you're presented with a very morally complicated situation, and then you're told that you can only hit stuff. The first thing that happens in the movie uh, makes no sense to me. <laughs> and I, I thought, do, you, do you want to go ahead and describe it? Yeah, yeah. So it, the idea that, like, uh, there's this thing called the Kryptonian Codex, and it right. contains all the of codex. the genetic material for all of the the families of Krypton. And when they clone babies, they use this to create stuff. Krypton is a place where... Before you're born, they decide if you're going to be a mathematician or a an architect or a poet. Like they decide who you're going to be. Uh, it's a, like a weird eugenics kind of place. And um, Jor-El hates this, so he has a kid illegally just by the old-fashioned fun way. Well, it, yeah, he hates it, and he also just believes it's this like, you know, Kryptonians are maybe I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but like are spiritually bankrupt and like. Also, this the Earth is imploding because like this whole philosophy mm-hmm. like is this not sustainable? Uh, yeah, and the, but the first thing he does is he puts that codex into his baby, right? When the whole th- the whole point of having the baby natural born is to get rid of that, but he puts it in him and his blood cells so he could well for no reason but, just because for no reason <laughs> he doesn't believe in it at all. He hates it. He wants to destroy the system, but he like is implicit. Well, it's but great. it's not even clear like in that moment what is going on. Like what is he doing to this baby? Like there's a weird skull thing that yeah, he finds after jumping into this like matrix tube of babies. <laughs> and it's like a weird magic glowy skull that oh he then God. just like teleports what it looks like he teleports through to the baby mm-hmm. and then creates like a thumb drive. Yeah. That out is, of its navel. Yeah, and it's like what? I to me like I don't know how you feel about writing stories or introducing people to like big worlds or whatever, but like using the word codex in the beginning seems to be like a bad idea because I'm like, I don't even know like what this is supposed to be. Like literally, like what is the properties of a codex? Mm Let alone, like, what? why I'm supposed to care about it. Because, yeah, the, the filmmakers, we're talking about choices today, and they Correct. very strongly <laughs> did not want to make, like, a, a folksy Superman sure. or, like, a fantasy. They wanted to make a hard science fiction story. Right. And they wanted it to, This is not a superhero story. It is a science fiction alien invasion horror movie. Right. Down to, like, the destruction of planets and, like, the tone and the color and the music. It's an alien invasion horror movie. So, like... <laughs> Which is uh, an interesting choice. Uh, you can't fault anyone from wanting to do something new with a character. Totally. 
So, like, before we, like, <laughs> go, like, really just, like, get into the meat of this, because I can feel it coming. Yeah, I, and there's also good stuff. If you like the movie, like, there's some scenes in there that I really like, uh, contrasted with some that I really don't, and that's why it's an interesting thing to talk about. Well, yeah, and so, speaking of, like, game design and whatnot, like, and a lot of critiques have been with, like, other game designers who do this thing called sandwiching, and in this case... Uh, so it's like, you know, the the bread is like the nice things and the meat is like, oh, here's the things you need to work on. And then the bread is like, here's something else nice. In this case, I feel like it's like putting a uh, putting like two biscuits between a cow. Like, <laughs> uh, but I do like just want to briefly talk about like the things I did like. And it happens mostly in the beginning, which is like it is like a really well-realized like world building. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I really was just like, OK, this is like a crazy like sci-fi realized uh you know end of the world like sci-fi planet and yeah he has a f- it's like very D, right there's a world you can play in. he has this like giant four winged dragon called haraka yeah it's like very regal but like science fiction mm-hmm. blended so like i found that to be pretty interesting and it also like you could see how that design wound up like twisting to fit into like where Superman's logo comes from mm-hmm. in this world, and also like that's mimicked in all their armor and yeah, it's very weird flowy. like and all of the uh, I guess evil Kryptonian like ships that are all kind of bug like and kind of organic, similar mm-hmm. to the different shapes and technology you see on Krypton originally. So like those are things that I thought were. Uh, Enjoyable. Let's talk about you just said evil Kryptonians because sure. I feel very strongly <laughs> that General Saad is a good guy for like ninety percent of the movie, and then just arbitrarily stops being a good guy. Because when we first see him in this movie, he's trying to overthrow the fascist tyrants who are damning all of Krypton by like not believing in climate change. They're like the planet's exploding, and they're like, "No, it's not." And he's like, "You mined it to death. It's exploding. We should leave and go somewhere. We have the ability." They're like, but no, our religion says we can't leave the planet. Right. And so he wants to overthrow them, which is the right thing to do. Right. Both both him and Jor- Zod and uh, Jor-El are basically, like, on the same page. They're basically, like, Krypton is, like, it's over. Like, we have to overthrow, like, uh, this monarchy. And we have to get past, like, these arcane principles. Like, they helped us, like, build this empire, but it's clearly, like, collapsing on itself. And Zod wants to, like, actually get rid of those bloodlines. It's like those degenerate royal blood, like make it like a working man's blue collar kind of like world from now on. Right. Yeah. Like the Zod is like definitely like more populist and mm-hmm. Jor-El is like the philosopher king, I guess, or just like wants to just like completely abandon even just like what Zod is like, I guess, sort of believing in, which is like, no, like the system could work, but only if I like control it. Yeah, so there's there's some choices early on, right? Like you're saying, you you want the audience to choose between one of these men's philosophies, and and early on, uh, I don't know why you'd side with Jor-El. Well, you do because Zod kills him abruptly for like no reason. Like the beginning, and I was just like one of those moments where I was like, so like Jor-El is watching his son get like sent off on a rocket like to some other place, and it's like kind of you know, some ways, like, moving, he's saying, like, goodbye. Of course, of course. And then Zod is just like, yeah, here's a knife I had hidden in, like, my crazy armor, and I just kill him for no good reason. Yeah, because like, he wants that codex because he believes in this. But but he doesn't, right? Because he's like, I believe in the codex, and I believe in Krypton's future and in this philosophy, but he doesn't because it's led to their doom and he wants to overthrow the kings. And But it's just, confusing. like, but killing him just, like, I mean... It really makes it so like you do. You're like that's the bad guy. Yeah, he yeah. killed the good guy's dad. Yeah, and it's really kind of uh, simplistic. 
Yeah, and it's weird though too because the whole idea with Zod is that he was a being designed to defend Krypton. So even though uh, the people who designed him are the ones that are destroying it, like he's starting to experience flaws in his program. Sure. He's like a robot, and then uh, Jarell was born to be a scientist. Sure, but why why is Jarell able to like beat up all the soldiers then? Like at one point, Zod sends him <laughs> off with like an army. There's like five soldiers walking to his death, and Jarell just beats the crap out of them and shoots them in the face with a ray gun. And if you were designed to be yeah, a scientist, yeah. why did you get that in your, your clone DNA? No, I thought about that too, which was this like, well, there either has to be like some sort of side quest you discover where like, oh, Jor-El's been like secretly jacking on like crazy like Bruce Lee that Kryptonian oh, like cool. DNA or whatever. But that's yeah, right. Cool. Like he's a scientist. Like how is he constantly overpowering people? Like in the beginning it was like, oh, he had like a moment of like uh, strategy where he like blinded them all or something. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, but then after that, he's just like hand to hand combat against like the top military officer. Yeah, yeah. I got this. And I'm Russell like, Crowe. And yeah, that would be, uh, you could call that like narrative dissonance, you know, mm-hmm. where you have a character who's like suddenly like, oh yeah, I know how to use guns. I could totally kill all these dudes when before you're specifically illustrated like, oh, there's specific roles and people respond to them like accordingly. Yeah. But. You know, we could just chop this up to, like, oh, it's Zack Snyder. Like, every scene has to be awesome. Yeah, he does feel like someone who has, like, an emotional disability, for sure. Like, like <laughs> in the way that he creates his stuff. Because it feels like he doesn't know why anyone does anything, but, like, he knows how to make great visuals. And he's right. very technically skilled. But, like, even his Superman, people comment that his Superman is, like, a sociopath. And, like, that's not, like, a derogatory term. Just, like, clinically... He people will be dying around him, and he, he doesn't bat an eye and try to say like he he goes right. to wherever the most extreme um, scenario is to go like interfere with that and to like he goes and punches a giant laser. He doesn't save a kitten from a tree. It's, right. it's a different kind of Superman that we've ever experienced before, and he's very like cold and Vulcan like. I I almost wonder though if that has more to do with the process of how this movie got made. Mm-hmm. Uh, just having like a teeny bit of insight into like the production design and whatnot is this like. There is a right there, there unless the writing specifically illustrated to him like or whoever is involved like oh Superman saves all these people mm-hmm. and then takes the fight somewhere else then it's really just like oh we'll just hand this off to post and they're just gonna like do what they want to do sure I guess right off the bat it just feels like this weird you mentioned like the Krypton is an emotionally bankrupt place and like the in the first like, dialogue exchange it's Jor El talking to someone to one of the Kryptonian scientists. And and they're like, so what are we going to do, evacuate the planet? And he's like, no, it's too late for them. We can't save them. And to have anyone with an S on their chest say we can't save them makes me want to, like, tear my head off and throw it into the sun. Like, that's a really weird thing to have in your Superman movie. Yeah. That that family should always be about saving everyone in the world. Yeah, it uh, it's hard. Like, I mean, um, <laughs> I just... I just I just remember watching this movie and like going into it like and it was like 2013 like it came out and just being like oh, okay it's a Superman movie like I'm not gonna be like hurt if it's just like not yeah. like the end of the world if it's just like not what I expected out of it and then when I left the movie I couldn't believe like how hurt I was by it yeah and it made me realize like how much that Superman is actually like a really big part of my life in a way it mm-hmm. was like this uh, like it was really startling and like upsetting because it was this like oh I didn't recognize like anything at all that was like going on on screen or I should take that back there are a lot of moments in the f- first third that made made me want to believe like this was going to be like a really like it was going to like capture like what I identified like with the character sure sure and I think like 
that that happens in culture occasionally. The death of Superman in the '90s. People who didn't know they were a fan of Superman just started right. crying. Like my, I remember like I had a teacher who asked me about it who hadn't read Superman in like 20 years and was like, "Hey, what's going on with that guy? How's Clark doing?" And like it was on the news. It felt like a real thing happening. Yeah. And, and these movies feel like big cultural events too. I was so excited to see it. I've never. This is the first Superman thing that I didn't like. Uh, yeah, I have this like uh, condition where anything with an S on it, I think, is amazing. This is the first one that I wasn't like, oh, I think I maybe don't like a Superman thing for the first time. Really, really weird. Yeah, it. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean. There's a few like thematic things that maybe you could help me like figure sure. out. Yeah, let's into them. because like th- throughout the beginning of the movie, like you're kind of hit like over and over. Like Superman, you have to make like serious choices about like. How are you going to respond to bullies? Yes. Or how are you going to respond to being different? Or yes. how are you going to respond to people in trouble? Mm-hmm. And throughout it, like Superman kind of responds uh, in ways that you're like you're excited he responds that way. So sure, like, yeah. The school bus like f- drives off the 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 road and he like pulls it out of the river and it's like a, it's exciting like classic moment. It's great. It's great. And it's even though his parents told him not to. Like, like he's he's raised in a world where he she like shouldn't show off, and he's a little bit scared to do it. And even though it's at great personal cost, potentially he still saves a busload of kids. Right. And then he jumps back in to go save the bully who called him Dick Splash. Yes. Two minutes prior. Yeah. yeah. That's Superman stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah it's like the cherry on the cake. It was or on top. <laughs> there could be cherries on cakes. Why not? <laughs> uh, Krypton, there are. Yes. Why not? Yeah. The Krypton cherry cake pie. Mm-hmm. We all know that. I'm just messing. All sorts of cakes and pies together. Anyway, uh, and then, uh, you know, he's, like, out in the ocean, and he, like, saves, like, a bunch of people who are on a, like, a rig that's, like, drilling, and that's it's on fire. Yeah, yeah, and he, like, you know, saves the day again. It's, like, it's a, another really, like, classic Superman moment. And it's cool to see him do it without a costume. We never saw Superman, like, do something that intense in his civvies before. Like, his, he's shirtless and on fire. And he and he's like he has this beard. He looks like a homeless person. It's awesome. Right. He's just like a regular dude saving the day. That's really cool looking. And I'm not even like I could see some people being frustrated. Like, so he gets picked on at a bar, and he like you know walks it off. But then like later you find out he just like smashed up some guy's truck. Mm-hmm. Which in some ways I'm like, well that's weird. But in other ways I'm like, well I could see how, like at that age in his life, he's just like still trying to figure out like how to sort out those feelings. And in yeah. a way, like I'm not gonna say like, well that was really dangerous and kind of messed up, dude. They really build up the idea that um, he's he'd never been in a fight before because he would turn you into pink mist. So he, his whole life he's been like white knuckle, just like grabbing onto, onto yeah. chairs and like destroying property instead of people. And like, and the and the final and the third act when he has to fight Krypton for the first time he's not very good because he's not right. like he's never took taekwondo classes he never like played football like he's never touched a person violently before right. so of course he's going to be terrible at fighting and that's that's a very interesting idea yeah and I guess that leads to I mean I don't know maybe we should talk about like the other kind of flashback scene which was like where Jonathan Kent uh, gets swallowed up by a tornado which I like I have to be honest when I watched it I just went like huh. Like, I felt like it went over my head. So I don't know, like, what your take is in, oh, on sure. that scene. Yeah, again, that felt like someone with, like, an emotional blind spot where they're, like, earlier in the scene, Clark is mad at his dad because his dad tells him not to be Superman, basically. And then his dad shows him that he, he's, like, 
I, you should never save people. It'll put yourself in danger, and the world will know there are aliens, and it'll be horrible. The world knowing about you, uh, they'll be panic and they'll hate it. It'll be worse than anything else. Knowing that you exist is worse, like not worth saving a life. And then he's like, "That's horrible." And then later on in that scene, he like he proves it. He's like, I, "Don't save me. I'd rather die than have the world know that aliens exist." And he puts his hand up, and it's insanity. Yeah, I. Uh... And Clark just sits by, and like they, he's already he's a rebellious teen who doesn't yeah. believe in his dad's stuff, but he still listens to him in that moment and lets him die and lets his mother become a widow. Like I can kind of understand like the parents saying that, like being like, "I don't want you to like maybe it's best that you don't go do this. It's best that you like not show all this to the world because, in some ways, they're like concerned parents. They don't want to see like their kids get hurt." Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to, like, reconcile, uh, when, like, he literally is saving lives. Like, it's so hard to, like, I mean, I get, like, the parents should be concerned and, like, they, you know, want him to, to, you know, be the person that he ultimately wants to be. But then it's just, like, it's hard to understand, like, this, what's the motivation here? Like, what is going on? And during that argument, like... Uh, Clark is in the front seat and passenger seat and, and Pa's driving and then the Ma and the dog are in the back for no reason and it felt like there are two parents so you could have two different thoughts there right. you, you could have like maybe dad says like I, w- I don't want you to save people uh, and, and then like mom goes like well you should save him just don't show off about it like like maybe play it low key and like or like dad thinks you should not do it if you save anybody then you should do it low key and then mom says but they need inspiration they need someone to look up to. So then, like, do you have a? It's not wrong to save lives, but it, maybe it's wrong to showboat about it. And well, that's yeah, a very midwestern idea. Sure. So that would make sense. And I mean, like, uh, I understand that the theme is like, I don't want you to act on your abilities. Like, that's like the dad's point of view, I guess. But there's also just the thing where it's like, it's a tornado. Yeah. If it looks like he gets swept up in the air, yeah, yeah. it'll seem like he just got thrown by a tornado. Like yeah. it's just like the scene. Like I was just a little baffled by because there's there's situations for Clark to you know use his abilities without like getting busted. Yeah, and in the bus scene, Pa says like maybe you should have let them die, and then later on he gives his life saving a puppy. So like, how is that the same character? You know? Yeah. That's it's another weird choice, but I feel like you're talking about choices and narrative branches, and like we're supposed to feel complicit in that. We're supposed to feel like Clark. Like I know uh, the Zack Snyder even said that this movie was about like making you experience the the choices Superman makes. That's what he wanted to do with the whole film was to put mm-hmm. you right there, front and center, and have him make mistakes for the first time, kind of like Spider Man. Yeah, I mean, so like. <laughs> There's there's a lot of themes, like, I think in the first third, and a lot of it's about, like, you know, uh, Jor-El's sort of uh, uh, premises, you know, are you going to be just part of this dead existential, um, like, predestined, like, system? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to just, like, or are we going to create, like, a new system where this character can... You know, be who you want to be. Like, you're not predetermined. Yeah, the American way. But, like, and then you go, they go to Kansas, and then the dad is like, well, I don't want you to, like, act out. And some of that makes sense because, like, yeah, you don't want him to just, like, kill the bully or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then it's like he goes even further. It's like, well, I just don't want you to use your powers at all. Mm -hmm. 
but you're here for a reason. Yeah, that part's weird. And I, it, uh, so, so, like, the themes, I'm just like, there's so many, like, lay, being laid on top of each other that, like, by the time Zod shows up, mm-hmm. like, I'm completely lost. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. because, like, because uh, before then, I'm like, all right, well, maybe this is a thing where he's like, all right, do I follow Jor-El or do I follow, like, Pa Kent? Or do I find, like, my own path, like, in between that? Mm-hmm. Like, I could take bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. But then Zod so- shows up, and it's just like, oh, well, I just have to just fight dudes for, like, two hours. Like, yeah. that, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. it. It's really weird. And uh, so as a person who creates these, like, narrative branches, could you tell there's three different, like, writers, basically, who made this screenplay. There's uh, Christopher Nolan, who was a, a producer and had a lot of input sure. because of the Batman films. And there's... Um, uh, David Goyer, who's really good, he wrote all of the Batman movies that all you guys like, like Dark Knight Returns and uh, or, 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 like the, the Dark Knight and yeah. stuff. And, uh, and then he and Blade, he wrote Blade, so he's good. Uh, and then there was Zack Snyder, who like had all the edits. Like I know um, Goyer has talked about how like in his version of the movie, the Phantom Zone is in there because he, Clark doesn't murder anybody; he puts him back in the Phantom Zone. And, mm-hmm. But Zack Snyder wanted that death scene, so there's a lot of like Zack Snyder written pieces in there too, right? Could you feel when the different writers were there? You said the themes were jumbled. Could you tell which narrative branches connected, which ones didn't? <laughs> uh, that would take a long time to really sort out. Uh, that I mean, I do feel like the first third, like before Zod shows up, it feels like a different movie. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it feels like a movie where a guy comes to Earth uh, who gains powers and doesn't know like how to reconcile with this and he's learning to cope with it. And some of that is like, uh, like compelling and accessible. And some of it is, is kind of confusing. I, I really like the first third. I, I like yeah. the weird D and D opening. And then I like him make it small Clark when he's a kid. I yeah. like the saving the fire thing. Right. I like, yeah, there's a lot of but soon as, stuff. But as soon as Zod shows up and the codex stuff comes up again, like none mm-hmm. of that stuff matters anymore yep. because the choices that, uh, Superman slash Cal L is presented with are like, all right, uh, so you can join us and we're going to kill everyone on Earth uh, and rep- and we're going to use the codex that you're hiding to like repopulate this or populate this planet with like new Kryptonians. Somehow, yeah. So that choice isn't like something that I would think most protagonists would be like, uh, yeah, I think I could totally betray all the people I like grew yeah, up with just to genocide. like uh, help you guys out, just because you wandered to this planet. It's and they could have any planet too because they have a terraform device, so you could give them like Saturn, and then they could just make Saturn <laughs> the new Krypton. Or like you know, there's no reason they need Earth. They don't say like we need this water or like you guys have cornflakes and we love corn. Like there's no yeah. resource on Earth that they I would, need. I would love it if Zod was like, I'm addicted to cornflakes. <laughs> this is the best place to get cornflakes. <laughs> and so that's why I'm taking over. Sorry guys. And they're like, get all the cornflakes off the planet stat. I would watch that movie more times than I would try this. Well, like, so. <laughs> Feora even says when, when she comes back, she's like, you guys evolved uh, compassion, and and we didn't, and that's why we have a we have a superiority on you when we're fighting, like as a tactical advantage. And like Clark is Kryptonian, so if it's evolutionary, then like she has he has the same stuff. You, it yeah. makes no sense. She just wants to say like, we came back. We're all in black with stormtrooper helmets, mm-hmm. so you can kill us indiscriminately, so and kids won't be upset. And I just said that we're all evil. We're basically Nazi robots. 
So like, here's free reign to murder all of right. us. And before that, it was very compelling. I really liked Azad, and I really liked the idea that he was a good guy, but he was too violent, and that he was designed to save Krypton, and now he it was malfunctioning, like sparks are flying out of his neck. It's yeah. like a robot that got broken. Well, I think... So this, <laughs> why they come to Earth, uh, because there's a discre- distress beacon or something, whatever. And then... Because <laughs> Clark steals a spaceship. Yeah, and... And then a beacon goes out. But the thing that I found, like, the most puzzling was, like, all right, they're going to come to Earth, and they're clearly not going to have powers. Like, they're just going to be, like, normal dudes until they realize that they can get powers from the sun. Mm-hmm. But that's not discussed at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, in fact, they have powers when they come to Earth. Like, they're doing, like, flash... Like super combos on dudes, like, and all they over the don't place. want them because they're trying to terraform the planet uh, to make it more like Krypton, which would take their powers away because the headaches hurt. I don't know. For the first hour, their powers are hitting. <laughs> like, yeah, they're trying to because it would make sense if they're like, we want Earth because there's a yellow sun. That's the resource we're right. after. But they no, they're terraforming it to get rid of the effects of the yellow sun. No, I, I, what is I happening? was so confused because I was just like, all right, well, this is how Superman's going to have the upper hand, and he's going to show them like, look, you don't have to do this, mm-hmm. but he has like a time limit. Yeah, you know, like get them out of town. Wait, you have you have twelve hours, and then they get heat vision. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a, such a cool idea. You're a good writer. Thanks. Oh, you're the best. <laughs> anyway, but like just anything that this show, like, I was, they never expressed like where they got the abilities that Superman had. Yes. Right? Because like I, we can assume like the suit gave him powers because Zod takes us off later and he still has them. But Zod says like, I've honed my senses as a soldier for. 30 years and what did you learn how to hone your senses at a farm like is that what a soldier but that is such like filler at that point you know because there's not anything that like super there's no agency coming from superman at that point besides like i just have to stop this evil dude Mm -hmm. and he's just like well i just have to stop this dude Mm -hmm. like this it's it's so like simplistic it's yeah that that whole conversation is like we just gotta fill in space yeah, I felt like they were trying to do what you do when you're writing, though, is that they wanted, like, Zod to present an option to Clark that he could, like, you know, join me. He doesn't. He never says the kneel before Zod thing, because that would make fans too happy. But he's <laughs> like, join me, and then we can uh, create Krypton. You can be the god of a new planet. You can... Right. Yeah. So... If... if but it wasn't a compelling choice, like you're saying, because he had to give up the whole planet. And also, like, Superman doesn't know he has this codex that is in him. Yeah, yeah. So, like, there's this... I guess it makes sense, it would make sense to describe a little bit like what this codex sure. is. So I still don't actually know what it is, but it's like some magic skull that Jor-El had shot through uh, Superman's body as a kid, and then it somehow puts the DNA of the entire, I don't know, like history or population or whatever, like into his blood cells. But it doesn't give him powers. No. Which would be a cool idea. It, like it doesn't make him Superman. No. It doesn't it's just like ever a come up again. Yeah, it's just like these little particles of data or something that just like are embedded in his blood cells. Uh so I guess whenever he bleeds he's like losing part of his population or something. <laughs> I guess we all are, I guess. <laughs> we lose some fluid. Yeah. <laughs> so like the th- so eventually Zod, I guess, realizes that he has to, like, kill Superman to harvest his body to, like, get that data and then put that data into the, like, into some clone Genesis babies. tube or whatever and make new Kryptonians. Yeah. But, like, those aren't choices that the character's given, like, or that Superman's given. And if there was an opportunity to say, like, 
Oh, Superman, like, you, is there a way that you can make a choice where Superman has to choose between, like, the potential of saving Krypton mm -hmm. without the cost of killing all of humanity? Like, when, this, yeah. when the choices are that big, it just is, it becomes, like, f pretty pointless. And it's not, there's, the stakes are so low because that's not the only way Kryptonians can be created because Clark himself was right. created through just sex. Right. So if, like, Feora and Zod got it on, they could restart Krypton themselves, but they're just repulsed by the idea of mating, I guess, so they have to clone things. Well, right, and so there is one other choice that, that Superman makes. Like, he smashes into Zod's other ship that has a bunch of the kryptonian baby making machines and he's basically like no dude you can't blow the ship up because this is the only way we could restart krypton mm. and superman like he hesitates uh and then he's just like yeah krypton's had its day and just like la yeah, lasers it to pieces yeah and i mean at that point in the movie like whatever choices that you're making are I felt like they were so big that I didn't understand like hmm. what the context was. It's like it was too alien. Yeah, it was. It's too abstract. Sure, like this, sure. is this? Uh, like I don't really know what it means to like save them. Besides, like oh well, that's just potentially also wiping out the population on Earth. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes no sense. There's never a reason why we can't coexist. But ever. But you, you, me, both know. Like having read the comic, like you know, Superman will find a solution. Like, he'll just be like, oh, I'll just, like, miniaturize them and put them in, like, my Fortress of Solitude yes, or whatever. Yes, Candor, yeah, Like, yeah. anything. Like, just, I'll find, you know, or maybe, like, we'll just introduce them, like, some island, like, separate from the rest of Earth. Like, we don't have, like, this is a pretty big place. I lived in Kansas for so long. Like, why can't yeah, yeah. I will physically help you terraform any other planet, and you have these machines, like, let's do this. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. And there's not even that many of them. Like, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's the, the choices, like you were saying, aren't adequately expressed. Whereas right. in, if you were making this as a video game, you would have a very clear, linear choice. Well, yeah, and it reminds me of, like, uh, again, going back to this game, Mass Effect. Mm -hmm. Like, so at the end of, like, Mass Effect 3, after this, like, huge, it was, like, this huge trilogy, and at the end of it, you're basically presented with, like, three huge choices. Um, and they're essentially, like, do you want to, uh, like destroy all these space platforms that sends everyone back into like a you know destroys a lot of technology uh, or do you want to merge all of all beings with this other alien race who's like trying to kill everybody right now hmm. uh, or do you want to keep fighting Okay. And like you're a soldier put in this position and most of the choices you've been making have all been really character driven. Like do I want to support this guy or do I want to like hurt this guy? Do I want to do uh like do I want to kick this guy out of a uh, out of a glass window cuz he's like a jerk and he's a terrible person or do I just like try to charm him and like do the you know be like Captain America about it. Gotcha. So they're they're all very character driven. And this is like the first like huge like this is going to define like the civilizations and generations and generations of characters in this game, and there's n and when you're confronted with that choice, or at least when I was confronted by this choice uh, in the game, I was just like, this doesn't feel like the same game anymore. Like, did did someone just like give up and just like <laughs> decide to just like throw this gigantic choice at me that like I can't be satisfied with any option? Hmm. So it's like. Do I continue to fight more? Like, I don't know what that means. Like, yeah, yeah. do I merge this uh, robotic evil alien race with, like, everyone else for mm. the sake of, like, I don't know, like, another option? Like, yeah, yeah. that, 
I don't understand why that would be important to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, you know, do I just destroy all these platforms or all these like teleportation hubs or whatever, uh, which make it so they can't keep fighting? But I'm like, well, what does that mean? So it's really just like if you don't have like a clear, you know, uh, result or like a clear um, consequence, goal, yeah. yeah, like based on the choices presented, yeah, they're they're too abstract, and you you get into a space where it's not satisfying and it's like super frustrating. Makes a lot of sense. Let's go play every Mass Effect game because I haven't played anything. Let's take a oh, break dude. real fast. I'm gonna play every game, and we'll be back in like like ten minutes. That's how it works, right? All right, sounds good. Be right back. All right, we're back. We're back. I played every yeah. Mass Effect. Uh, there's 15 of them. Oh, cause... side note, real quick. <laughs> that Mass Effect, the ending, was such bullshit. Everything he's talking about is so true. Like, it's, yeah. it's really, really well-crafted, and the, and the branching and all this stuff. And so, for years, they were like, listen, how you played the game through, through the entire thing, it, your ending's going to be different. Like how you do right. it. It's a cool idea. Different. There's four. There's four endings. Oh, like you're gonna get it. Like it's and it's gonna take all of your choices. And, and everybody was like, "Fuck yeah, Mass Effect!" Like, because you know people were dumping like three years of their lives. Yeah, that's awesome. It was it was it was an amazing experience to yeah, go through. Like amazing. to play through all those games when they came out. Right, for sure. And then they they like tried to pat. Anyway, real quick. They yeah. Were like, but then they they were like. Oh yeah, the ending. It's all the same except the colors are different. Well, yeah. Oh, it's no. it is oh, I no. didn't even get into that. But yeah, basically yeah. the like the they're all ending, the they're, green ending, but the blue. Yeah, all oh, the no. choices are color-coded yeah. for some reason. Bullshit. And then and then everybody was enraged and they released a DLC to kind of like try and Well, yeah, they're basically everything. like, look, more your character stuff before they go do that right. that like And it was like I really want to, because you can have sex in Mass Effect. In fact, a big part of the game is like who. Really well, yeah, who you like, heard that, who yeah. you befriend yeah, and mate, like, and yeah, who you date and, who, and your crew. Hmm. And so they were like, yeah, you could bang your your people a couple more times before the lane. <laughs> like, but I was like, I'm oh not no, upset. Well, did you? It's okay, so we jump back in. Or, jump back. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're back. Uh, we just played every Mass Effect game there's ever been, and I got the green ending. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so to the red or blue one. Oh, that would have been more Superman style. So let's talk about your personal relationship to Superman. Do you, is this, this is a character that you weren't aware that you had uh, a strong opinions about until this movie, you said? Right. So, like, growing up, for, I was more of, like, a Marvel guy. Admittedly, <gasps> you know, shocker. Any certain character or um, creator? Or... Well, yeah, I mean, I wrote, like, a biography about Jack Kirby when I was, like, in the... Uh, like sixth grade. I respect that. So, His Jimmy Olsen comics are great. Yeah, he was like, I was basically, it was like, you have to write a biography about it, like an influ- influential person you care about. And I was like, Jack Kirby. Man, that's why we're Got friends. This. I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got this. Um, but I was mostly, so the two characters that I enjoyed a lot, I mean, I loved all the X Men, of course. Sure. Um, like their drama and like them having to feel like outsiders and also having like cool hair and powers and everything. And they hook up and like Mass Effect. So. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, come on, buy it. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for me, it was like Spider Man and the Hulk. I think okay. were like the two characters that I related to the most. And f- for me, Spider Man for being. Uh, you know, feeling like this kind of nerdy, uh, downtrodden guy who, like, then can kind of be himself, like, when sure. he's, like, out fighting crime and 
uh, swinging around town. What's your version of that? What you like? When do you feel like you're able to be yourself? <laughs> oh man, um, that's really that's a hard question. When you're on podcasts, yes, and you're put in the corner right now. Yeah, totally good answer. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think for a lot of writers and creators, like they're always kind of exploring or inadvertently like learning things about themselves like when they're working on yeah. projects and like getting themselves excited and learning like what gets them jazzed sure. so like i've always like i remember i mean i made comic books with a friend when i was like in the third grade did you really yeah. i want to see them <laughs> i'll bring them next time you should send me a scan so i can put they, they're super derivative it was like me and a friend watch aladdin and like we're like let's make a bunch of characters uh based off of aladdin and like some video games we like and X-Men. Well, I've got news for you. Spider-Man <laughs> is the most derivative thing in the entire world. There are no red and blue spiders. Sure. Uh, he works at a <laughs> newspaper. Uh, he's a journalist. Yeah. Um, I, he's I, a I think, fake Superman. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so it sounds very Marvel of you, being derivative. Right. I like it. But tell you what, I'll go further. So the Hulk is another character that I, I really related to. Um, and like, I had a lot of friends like Wolverine or the Punisher and I think it was kind of like, oh, they have these power fantasies mm-hmm. where they get to like see these characters like act out in ways that are like kind of violent and extreme. And that was something that they enjoyed. Sure. I mean, I like those books too. Like mm-hmm. Wolverine Bloodlust uh, is like the it's like the second annual put out by it with by Alan Davis is like one of my favorite comics of all time. Cool. But it, but the Hulk was like uh, I. I really related to in a way because he was like someone who didn't want to like express that about himself, like was kind of scared about those elements. And as someone who's like, uh, I don't know, kind of grew up uh, feeling like in a shell, Mm -hmm. that was something that I always enjoyed reading uh, like Bruce Banner and like how he kind of coped with it and trying to like um, not like express himself. That's funny because you, you mentioned I asked you to be like the first guest on the podcast, I think. And you're like, I don't know, man. I'm a pretty private guy. So I'm excited to come on finally. You are a very reserved, uh, very, very th- thoughtful gentleman. Oh, I respect you. that about you. Well, well, so saying that, I do want to like put I want to take it back to Superman. Yes. Thank you. And since it is like super friends, I do kind of want to like keep up with the. I don't know, like the principles of this podcast Good man. And, and how we're comrades and yes. this is a safe space. Yes. So um, like Superman was always like my mom's favorite character. And uh, like we grew up in the Midwest and I didn't realize like how big of a character Superman was um, to me in my life really until like I watched this movie and felt like it had totally just like offended me. Um so, um, my my mother is uh, is gay, and we were growing up in the Midwest, and so she had to live kind of a closeted life as well as like raising me and my sister. Um, what a hard I, job, man! Yeah, and she was like in the tech industry, so she oh, wow. started out like um, doing phone calls for Gateway, and eventually like rising up to being a manager. Uh, That's impressive. Yeah, no. So she's like a self-made, uh, safe, self-made lady. Very cool. Very um, lowest line. I respect that. Totally. And so, like, I mean, I don't know if this is how she relates to it, but like when I would, I would see Superman in a way is like, well, Clark Kent like has to downplay like how awesome he is. He has to like hide all this about himself. Yeah. But like when Superman or when he's like 
Kal-El, like when he's Superman, he's like out. He gets to be like who he really is. He gets to be like this awesome person that's like all of these elements of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I don't know. It was just like I had this like emotional like realization about this connection uh, beside it just being like, oh, this is the character my mom likes and it reminds me of my mom. It's just like this other extra like theme that I like was devastated by uh, when I watched that movie. And yeah, um, yeah. It, I was really hurt. <laughs> That's a really beautiful connection. Yeah. Cause in that whole movie, they're telling him to like, keep it down, Clark, keep it hidden. Yeah. yeah. Like when uh, John- Jonathan says that to Clark, like I seriously, like my throat, like swole up. Like I was seriously just like, uh, you know, I've, I've seen that. Like yeah. I watched that happen. And, uh, you know, it was, <laughs> I know that wasn't obviously the intent, but I don't know, just uh, it, a lot of these things, like those connections just like clicked for me in a way that was like really personal. Yeah, man. I think that's a common thread with Superman fans. This stuff, this mythology is uh, around for a reason. It's it's incredibly useful. Everybody responds to it in such a, like a visceral way. And, and then so to tinker with it, it's not just a movie. It's not just a right. story. Uh, they can affect people's lives. Like young Ascot probably wouldn't <laughs> respond to this the, the way that you did. No, no way. Or your yeah. mom would never like this character. Right. And that's even worse, right? That's horrible. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The the two movies like guaranteed to like turn me, well, I guess there's three, but like the two movies I grew up watching as a kid that are guaranteed to like just uh, make me just like cry like forever, uh, like fill my Feel fill my palms of tears uh, is Star Trek II: Wrath of Khan. That's a good one. <laughs> and like the first Superman movie with Absolutely. Christopher Reeves. Like as soon as he like goes, he like unleashes. Like I just like lose it. Yeah, well, when he cries. Yeah, because yeah. he like he's been so on it the whole movie. Mm-hmm. He's been like, I'm the good guy. I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna like save you guys. Like I'm gonna do whatever it takes. And then yeah. he like finds out he can't. He like fails. Mm-hmm. And he's like devastated, and I think, and he's angry because he's like, I have the power to do this, and I still can't save everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, and that that feeling of hopelessness for a guy right. who can do anything just crushes him. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, anyway, it's uh, not no. Anyway, this is amazing. <laughs> this is brilliant stuff, man. Thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate right this. Right on. Um, yeah, I I completely understand where your mom was coming from too, from from like being another character. As a kid, I had uh. Uh, behavioral problems sure. I was a fighter and stuff and I, I like Superman not killing people uh, was something that I thought about while I was like hitting guys in the face like <laughs> like I don't know if, I shouldn't do this but like seriously pulling back punches or like okay. like not letting things go yeah, as far well. as they should and like like I don't I was like a little hoodlum and like yeah. but I loved Superman and, and uh, I don't know if that me saw a guy saw Superman snapping a guy's neck if he would have thought that was appropriate right like not to be so dramatic, but like I do feel like Superman saved my life and maybe some other people's lives. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's intense to have these stories corrupted and, and it, perverted. And it's like growing up, like I think uh, I felt like maybe a lot of other people like my age that like Superman is his trite. Like he's just like you get it. He's just like superficial, like good guy. And there's definitely been like people who have written him like that way, or it's just like tried to find unique ways to write him, which were not unique. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, Man of Steel or Batman v Superman. Edgy. Yeah. Can be edgy. Where it's just like Superman has to really overthink like why he's Superman, where it's just like, 
I think people can give, like, writers have been able to give him some pretty serious challenges that, uh, you know, are entertaining and, like, thought-provoking. Yeah, doing the right thing all the time is impossibly hard. Right. And it's really dramatic. And the, fa- the fact that you think it's easy, like, I can't get, wrap my head around that. Yeah, and I think this is, like, a good segue to talk about, like, you know, the, I don't know, like, the sort of... Uh, <laughs> like the big moment for it's not just this mo- moment in the movie that is like frustrate like that makes the movie like frustrating mm-hmm. but it's definitely like emblematic of like a lot of problems that we might have in the movie which is how superman uh i guess decides to deal with zod yeah that's exactly why i wanted to have you on today let's please <laughs> run through that because the idea that you create all these choices i thought i saw like a choice menu pop up when he's holding yes zod, totally and like so <laughs> So he can literally do anything. So let's throw out some pitches for what he could have done. No, I wrote a list. Okay. Oh, my favorite person. All right. Please start. All right. Uh, So one is just choke him out. Yep. Yep. There you go. He's already got his like arm around his neck. That's what he's in process of doing. Just choke the dude out. Yeah. I would. uh, He's literally Superman. So he could fly. So my thing is like fly up into the air. That is the second thing I have in here, which is fly him to outer space. Yeah, yeah. How about um, do the thing from Superman 1 where you tunnel into the ground by spinning? Right, yeah. There's there's another one I had, which is just like use your beams on the ground to like escape or something. Yes, Yeah. that's a good one. That's good. How about um, super breath? You could blow the people out of the way. Sure. Out of harm's way. I mean, that's definitely a little more like dangerous, but yeah, it's a option that's better than what we saw on screen or you could freeze him with the breath yeah i mean yeah you could uh you could literally cover his eyes oh yeah oh my god just put your hand over like it's peekaboo yeah his hands invulnerable i mean he might might get hurt like he might Uh, badly damage his hand oh my god for our (laughs) listeners i just flipped a table and set a dumpster on fire. Yeah. These are That's the best one so far. Right. Please keep going. The other one I have is that he could just use his own heat vision to like catterize his like, I don't know, eyeballs for from being able to do that. He could like deflect the beam with comic book stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like Ghostbuster the beams or whatever. Sure, they, cross, like, the <laughs> cross the screams. Uh, um, I also just wrote like I literally wrote anything else. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my god. He could he'd lean back and he, he could, could poke yeah. him in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, you're right. Like so if you're looking at this scene, like the way that the writers have written it is that Superman has Zod in a headlock, kind of, and Zod is like, Well, you care so much about these people, you're gonna watch them suffer. Mm-hmm. And he's like doing this James Bond style laser where it's like yeah, from yeah, yeah. from his heat vision and it's like slowly coming down onto these like group like these family. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, uh, mom and a dad and like two kids. Yeah. And like you know, <laughs> Superman is this like struggling, like, what am I gonna do? And Superman decides to snap his neck, like just to straight up kill this dude to save this family. And it's it's kind of heartbreaking. Uh, and I mean, to some credit, like if I'm going to give credit, it's I guess. It's not kind of heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Like right. there were gasps in the theater. Yeah. Uh, you could hear Mark Wade's heartbreaking <laughs> from States Away. Yeah. It's the first time we ever had anything that violent in a Superman movie ever. Pe- people should definitely Google disaster porn Mark Wade and read his little rant. I thought it was like especially uh and really excellent on dissecting this scene. Yeah, it's since there's oh my god, 
It's so weird. I had that moment because I have a personal. I don't drink, and I uh, have hang-ups with that personally. So, like, the idea – Clark earlier in the movie just has a Budweiser, and it's the first time in 77 years that Superman has ever had alcohol. Did that happen? Yeah, because oh, they had yeah. a, they had a Budweiser deal, and so just for ads. <sighs> so it wasn't even a story point or a dramatic divergence right. from canon. It was just, like, they wanted to make 14 cents, so they had him chug a Bud. And it was right when, like, a, the spaceship arrives for the first time. And, and like he's, oh, he's watching like at TV. home and he's like watching college he's like, football. Yeah, he's yeah. unwinding with a beer, which Superman doesn't do for the exact reason that if he's ever, he says I never drink when I fly, and he always flies. So the idea is that like if he's ever needed, he's he's always on call, so he can't drink. And that and that scene should have showed you why, but they never addressed it. So that was my personal neck snap thing. So I was freaking out earlier, and then later on with the actual neck, I was like, oh my god, they went so much further than right. I than even the drinking thing. Right, this is insane to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, like, Superman's metabolism, like, can't, he's not going to get drunk anyway. In my mind, he wouldn't support the industry, though, either. He wouldn't pay for it. Yeah, go on. But, oh, man. (laughs) But, yeah, that that scene, it's, so, if we're back at that scene, Mm -hmm. and we pretend this is, like, a game or whatever. Yes, please. And so, there's, you have Superman in a headlock, or you have Zod, Superman has Zod in the headlock, and then you're suddenly presented with, like, a timer and, like, two choices, right? And one choice is, like, don't do anything. Let Zod just, like, let these kids, uh, like, get melted or mm-hmm. whatever. Or the other option is to snap Zod's neck. Uh, yeah, that's really... <laughs> that's not that's not a choice anyone wants to make either of those choices but and the writers who talk about like they've talked about this after the fact a lot in interviews because everyone hated it and they're like well he had no other option and like it's a blank page man like you wrote him into that corner like it's this cartoon right. character no, called there's... superman you don't have to give him that choice if you don't want to right and i think like before we talked about this and how like that is an example of like a false choice mm-hmm. But so, <laughs> which it's not. It's just a. It's just a failure of imagination. Yes. So yes. that's what Elliot Magan said about <laughs> in his review about the movie. That yeah, like Superman's defining characteristic is imagination. Like he would beat guys by like I create a vortex around you because by going really fast and that sucks the air out of your lungs right. and you pass out peacefully. Like right. He, that's his. He's a little kid playing like make believe when he's fighting. Sure. Like like the Flash does too. Well, it's like, so examples of false choices in games, and there's, like, the most, like, well-known one is just, like, if anyone's ever played an RPG in the 90s, which is basically, like, a dialogue box that says, like, hey, do you want to start the quest? And you have, like, yes or no. Mm-hmm. And if you pick no, uh, basically they're like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to? Funny. It's like, I think you should start the quest. And then it's just, like, you're in a loop. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, basically you're just forced to pick yes. Sure. So false choices usually, like, it doesn't matter what you choose. It's, like... And like the outcome is always going to be the same. Gotcha. Um, like another example, which uh, people. So I think this is like a strong use of choice, even though like some people point to it as this like, oh, this is not. This is also a false choice. So in the beginning of the Walking Dead game, uh, which I highly recommend, it's it's fantastic. Uh, you're basically presented with a choice to either save uh, someone. Um, there's basically like zombies coming at uh, some people at this farm and you're basically presented with a choice to either uh, like help out like one character or another so you're okay. put in a position to like oh am I gonna save this guy or not That's the Sophie's choice but the but what happens is if you play that scene um, more than once mm-hmm. uh, you basically learn that the same outcome happens no matter what oh, wow. like basically the the zombie gets the same guy no matter what but mm-hmm. what does change and this is important is 
like the characters noticed who you tried to help. Oh wow. So like if you didn't help like this young boy, like the parents are like, I don't want to be cool with you. Like you just let the zombies like try to get at my kid. Mm-hmm. Um but if you went and helped the boy and let this other guy like uh who gets taken away taken away by the zombies anyway, like the the farmers uh like another set of characters are like mad at you for making that choice. Okay. So in some ways it's like that event is going to happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. But how you make choices within it mm-hmm. is like basically where all this conflict comes from. That's really and interesting. Like where this kind of dynamic uh, emotional tension comes from. So it's not always like what's on screen. It's like what's happening to the player when they're trying to make these choices. Sure, sure. Uh, which is a unique space. Yeah. Um, but I will say, so just to give like one more example. Mm-hmm. Um there is a game that does remind me of like the Superman's like neck snap choice. Um, I don't remember the. Um, I wish I remember the name of it, but there's a first person shooter where basically um, like your girlfriend gets kidnapped and you have to kill a bunch of dudes to go save her. Well, the final boss turns out to be like um, your girlfriend who's been like uh, mutated and inserted in this like giant robot and is like <laughs> trying to kill you. Okay. So you have to, you know, destroy the robot and then at the end. You're basically forced to like kill your girlfriend, uh, rather than like any other kind of option to try to save her. Mm-hmm. And so again, like we're putting the character in a morally complicated situation, but the only verb that we've given them yeah. for how to resolve it is this: to keep shooting. Huh. So yeah, yeah, that's really weird. <laughs> yeah, and it's just a problem in the writing too. Like if if the writers don't start building towards a solution, like start introducing other verbs or mm-hmm. like other, uh, like other thoughts that Superman has mm-hmm. before that scene, well then yeah, of course, like maybe that scene makes sense. Like he had no choice because mm-hmm. we haven't fleshed out him as a character who has internalization. Yeah, because the idea that he respects all life would make that scene uh, way more intense because he would have to find another way. But right. but in this universe where, like, life is bleak and you're all alone and, blah, like, of, yeah, that's, it's a, you're saying it's a predetermined outcome. Right, so exactly. It's not, so it's not even shocking, which would be the point of that scene, which was to shock right. you. So they took that away from themselves. And, yeah, that's why I can't even call it a false choice because, it, like, a false choice would say, like, well, you're just making the player do something for the sake of like getting to the next scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is yeah, it's just, it's really just like they did not have the imagination to figure out how to get it out of that scene. Yeah, and I know like initially they did because the whole idea with the phantom drive creating a singularity and sucking them in, like there was a draft where like he just hucked him into the phantom zone and like right, and, yeah. and he Christ like like sacrificed himself to go and like that's there's a superman story there mm-hmm. and that's why superman's interesting that's why that's why the world responds to him because like he has ideas we don't like he shows us a better way and then you're like oh my god that's an option i had yeah. no idea like he presents a new narrative path for us to follow down as as players in the human game yeah no i mean uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so has uh, superman influenced your work and all your personal work let's talk about your games right now right um so the so yeah the game I have out right now uh, it's called Psychic. Uh, if you Google Psychic episode on the uh, Android store, you can download it. Cool. Um, if you Google just Psychic, you will just find a million apps about palm reading. <laughs> so pro tip: do a little bit more research when you name stuff, and you're gonna put it on the app store. 
I always think it's funny in LA how there's like a psychic every two blocks I know. and how you have to get a license to do it. And like prostitution is illegal, but you can be a psychic and it's no problem. <laughs> anyway, oh go on. Uh, but yeah, that game is, uh, it's a more of a detective game. Um, and uh, you play, uh, it's, you play as a detective uh, and a, uh, who has a, a sidekick who's like a talking telepathic cat who yes like dude crime. so cool <laughs> so cool i wish there was superman influences well he has powers but he has superpowers right yeah so he can read minds and when he's interrogating people like new thoughts like get populated and so you can go in and read those thoughts and occasionally like different branches unlock because you're like gaining new evidence that is so incredibly cool it's, Thank you. And it, and if you've ever played like L.A. Noir, like there are elements of that kind of game design that come into it. And then you can also talk to your cat sidekick who will like uh, who's mostly there to like make fun of everyone. Yeah. Uh, but he can also also like give you like tips and kind of like uh, hints and things for like how to get through a scene. So awesome. So <laughs> awesome. Oh, my gosh. All right. So where can people find you online to talk more about if they love Man of Steel and they want to come after you? Yeah, totally. Where can they get come? at me? Yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, at Ascot underscore world. Um, Ascot A-S-C-O-T. Yeah, it's A-S-C-O-T uh, named after the, well, there's a Royal British racetrack that my name has in common with. I just assumed that your mom loved Scooby-Doo as well as yeah, yeah. and it was after Fred's Ascot. <laughs> well, my last name's Smith, so she was like, I got to I gotta do yeah. something in extreme opposition to the Smith name. Your mom sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> she can be awesome. All right, cool, cool. Any, anywhere else? Any, like, uh, website or anything? Uh, yeah, you can check out my work uh, on my website. Uh, it's ascotjsmith.com. Uh, you can see a bunch of examples of my weird uh, comedy second screen uh, work or some of the VR stuff or some of the um, location-based entertainment. Um, so, yeah, there's other other entertainment and fun interactive storytelling on that site. Very cool. Well, I'm never going to watch this movie again. <laughs> so thank you for being a yes. part of this milestone in my life. I'm, I'm going to high-five that. My girlfriend and I are fighting because I made her watch it. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. Yeah, I, it was hard. It's mm-hmm. not easy. All right, cool. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, buy some flowers, and you go say hi to your mom for me. Yeah, let's go find ways to make ourselves feel better. Yay! <laughs> go Bye, us. super friends. Bye. Ooh, super friends with Eric Esquivel. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires goal for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.